Tesseract actually is how it started was I, I was thinking like, you know, how can I would it be possible to make a 3D sabler? So what I did was the sablers are square. I kind of took this each sabler and then kind of rotated them isometrically and then turned them into like it looks a bit like a Rubik's cube. Welcome to another episode of Blank Radio. We are here to dive deep into the minds of NFT icons and artists. Studio Yorktown, who is a generative artist that is going to be launching a collection with Blank Studio in 2023. When did you start uh, kind of the digital art process and when did you really get into the NFT and the crypto space? Right, sure. So my name is Kwame Bruce Buzia. I'm better known as Bruce on uh, Twitter uh, from Studio Yorktown. And um, I am trained as an architect studied architecture in the UK um, until 2007. And then uh, I was working in London as an architect for a couple of years. Um, then there was the financial crisis. So the first thing that people stop uh, building is, is buildings, you know? So um, I, I ended up moving to the United Arab Emirates, uh, to Abu Dhabi, where I was working as a concept architect. So that's kind of doing 3D renders of like buildings before they're done. Um, so lots of Photoshop work, uh, lots of conceptual kind of ideas and stuff like that. I worked in that for a few years, um, six, six or so years. And then I uh, moved to working corporate graphic design. And um, while I was working there, I was kind of developing all these hacks and kind of programs and scripts and stuff like that to help, um, you know, speed up my workflow. And that ended up evolving into like uh, what is now Studio Yorktown, which is like a asset and um, templates and, and kind of mock-ups and assets library for designers and artists, which I set that up um, about two or three years ago. And then um, at the same time, I was kind of in the crypto space from like late 2016. So I, I've been sort of like, that. that's crypto trading and, and, and tokens and coins and all of that stuff. I've been kind of uh, an avid participant in the market for a while. And so um, the last couple of years, this talk of NFTs kind of started popping up and I got really curious. I was like, What's NFTs? I, I don't quite get it. But I did a, a deep dive into it and um, started out putting uh, some NFTs out on uh, Rarible, I think was my first one. And then uh, I applied for Async Art. And I've done quite a few projects with Async Art, actually, um, on Ethereum. And then I discovered the Tezos ecosystem and um, came across very randomly this site FX hash about a year ago, actually exactly a year ago. Um, and that's kind of when like generative art as and like done with code kind of, I really came into contact with that and it kind of blew my mind. But at the time I couldn't code. I, I, I didn't understand how it was done. So I kind of put myself through a very intensive uh, programming, lots of coding train and so on and trying to reverse engineer and understand things. And, uh, and um I put out my first um, generative piece called Sabler. I think it's about just maybe nine nine months ago, and it's it, it was well received, and it's kind of been a whirlwind since then. You know, just kind of going back and forth between like Foundation and Ethereum and Async, and then 
FX hash, and it, it's kind of developed into what it is today. So um, that's the, the sort of like abbreviated uh, history of Studio Yorktown, I guess. Uh, so Studio Yorktown, where did that name originate? Right. Okay. So um, one of the questions I get very often is, well, what is Studio Yorktown or where is Studio Yorktown? What it is, is I'm actually like a huge Star Trek fan. And um, originally, like one of the ideas for the name of the, the business was going to be Studio Enterprise. But um, it's like a small trivia point that a lot of people don't know. But the original name for the Starship Enterprise was actually the Yorktown until uh, Gene Roddenberry, the network, asked him to change it to Enterprise. So um, it's like a very deep trivia point. So I went with the name Studio Yorktown. So that that's what it's about. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Kind of geek, I love but... that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Kind of <laughs> kind of kind of really match the the kind of the generative coding scene. Uh, to be to be yeah, fair. sure. And there's lots of like Star Trek Easter eggs hidden in like you know some pieces of work if you if you look for them. The the uh, keen fans might might spot it. <laughs> oh, that that is some uh, some really cool stuff, mate. I I, I have no idea. Uh, uh, like that much information on Star Trek. I I haven't really watched it, but but you know I'm a big Star Wars fan, and uh, I hear yeah, a lot right, of okay. um, I hear a lot of like uh, complications between the two. You know, if Star Trek or Star Wars are better, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I watch yeah. both to be perfectly honest. I love both of them, but <laughs> but you you I, I guess you love Star Trek a little bit better than a little bit, just a tiny bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just exciting to yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, uh, it's it's really good to see that you got into the FX hash uh, about a year ago, and uh, I think FX hash's uh, birthday was uh, really recent as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, the, I I just did a drop last night called Crosswalk Monsoon, and that was for the uh, FX hash turns one event. So I think it was November thirteenth. 2021 that it opened so um between like 14th and 18th lots of artists on the site have been dropping um collections 365 editions one tez each and lots of really interesting stuff popping up there you know it's uh, everyone's coming up with a, a different aesthetics and ideas and stuff like that it's, it's quite fun a bit like the tezos events you get these tezos hashtag events and it's very vibrant and very exciting. So yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, if you guys don't know that much about the FX hash scene, uh, I strongly recommend you guys go look at the Tezos ecosystem and especially uh, FX hash generative art. Uh, their kind of take on generative art is a little bit different to the ones that we experience on Ethereum uh, and also Artblocks. Artblocks is a, a blind minting process where the code is stored and the art is stored 100% on chain but what fx hash does is that they store their uh art on ipfs so when you mint it's already a pre-selected uh amount of mints uh that is available so if there is 365 mints on fx hash it means that the artists themselves have already chosen 365 variations of the artwork and uploaded onto a 
IPFS for the collectors to mint. But I strongly recommend you check out FX Stash if you're into the generative art scene. Uh, this type of uh, platform is currently very cheap. I guess in a couple of years, it will be a lot more expensive to get in. Uh, is about 10 or 20 times cheaper than the uh, Ethereum chain. Um, but since since their transaction fee and their kind of uh, uh, their community and the Tezos pricing uh, is a little bit cheaper to collect. Yes, yeah, so, so I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about your Tesseract because your Tesseract project uh, is one of my favorite projects uh, on FX Hash. It's clean, uh, the color contrast and uh, the the stream of like art flow. Uh, kind of gives me a really good uh, vibe. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, waterfalls plus Rubik's cubes kind of uh, kind of style. Uh, how did you how did you come up with uh, this concept? And how how long and how hard was it to to put it into uh, kind of the kind uh, of kind of into perspective? How how hard was it to to code and generate these kind of uh, artworks? Um, so for the Tesseract, the Tesseract, well, I had a, a project before that one, which was called um, Sabler is the first one. And Sabler was, it was like a highly abstract um, version. It was inspired by a uh, Bauhaus artist called Annie Albers. And um, I kind of really abstracted it into this kind of minimalist five column grid. And the uh, Sabler is actually an anagram of Albers. So um, each time I do like an iteration of one of those projects, um, I, I create a new anagram. So after Sabler, Sabler was another project called Lebris, and they all work on the same kind of grid with like five columns and the proportions are all like roughly similar. Tesseract actually is, how it started was, I, I was thinking like, you know, how can I, would it be possible to make a 3D Sabler? So what I did was, because Sablers are square, I kind of took this each Sabler and then kind of rotated them isometrically and then turned them into like, it looks a bit like a Rubik's Cube. And the initial idea was to see um, if I could make this five column and 21 row uh, cube kind of work together and make these paths kind of wind around inside themselves. But that was a very, very complex idea, even to like, you know, sketch with a pencil. So in the end, I, I kept drawing the concept again. Like I usually use like some app on my um, iPad to sketch out ideas. Um, and so I, I was, I was, playing with this idea and, and turning it different angles inside out. And then and I think one of the sketches had this kind of waterfall thing. I was just kind of mindlessly doodling, you know. And the first one, I hadn't quite set up the rules. So the thing about Tesseract is that it has quite uh, fixed rules in order to make it look kind of clean. For example, the uh, waterfall ribbons can never fall in the middle of a of a cube they're always at the edge and the ribbons never turn when they're on a plane they're always kind of run to the edge and then 
they fall until they hit another cube. And stuff like that was just the result of like many iterations and going, you know, through it again and again. And I think like the most complex thing really is way before, you know, trying to code anything or put anything together. That is, you know, um, trying to see if the concept works on paper. And then if it works on paper, I'll build like a simple model or a simple kind of proof of concept in Adobe Illustrator. And that way I can look at palettes and, and sizings and proportions and things like that. And only then if, when I've got the rule set down to like, you know, kind of a manual is when, you know, if it, it, it can go forward and become, you know, a, a generative concept. Because if it doesn't work in the concept things, um, it's very difficult. Because I don't tend to code by, I mean, recently I've started doing this, but generally speaking, I like to know what it is that I'm trying to code because I'm not the most confident coder. You know, so like I can do simple things like um, things which are on a grid and so on. But when it comes to more freeform stuff, like uh, I think I mentioned this in a, before in another interview, it's that like uh, mathematical stuff and curves and things like that is a little bit outside of my range. I'm getting better with it. But, um, you know, I, I like to keep them fairly simple. And the thing about the, the tesseracts is like they're mostly cubes, um, hexagons. So as long as they can be arranged in a way that looks pleasant, then you can get a good result. Um, but the, the other thing with generative collections that I like to do is I like to look at the different variations. You, you want to see if you can get something that is, uh, each one could look unique, but not so different that it doesn't look cohesive as part of a collection. But at the same time, there should be some, uh, structure which you can look at the whole collection at a glance and say, yeah, these all fit together. Because sometimes you can have outputs which look wildly different from each other, and then it's kind of as if it's separated into two collections. And for a number of reasons, that can be problematic. So kind of walking this tightrope and making sure everything fits together is a little tricky, but it, it is a definitely an interesting design challenge. So, yeah. Ah, perfect. You know, uh, you know, I never knew that uh, Tesseract was like a a step up to your Sabler collection. You know, uh, I yeah, uh, both collections I really like. I do own some of uh, some of the Tesseract. I forgot how many, maybe one or two. I uh, can't really remember. But you know, uh, looking across your collections on FX Hash, uh, you know, uh, the kind of the progression and um, and the styles. They're very simple, as you said, but to me, uh, it doesn't have to be complex code in order to uh, come up with something that's super aesthetic. You know, aesthetics to me is a lot more important than the complexity of the code. Uh, and looking through it is like your cross, uh, crosswalk Moonsun, that collection is very different to your other collections. Uh, how how did you get, how where do you really draw your inspirations and uh, why did you decide to create a collection that's a little bit uh, different to your normal normal style? Well, for the for the crosswalk monsoon, um, that is actually a modification of the Sabler algorithm. So it's the same code as Sabler. I've just tweaked it um, until it's come out like that. 
So that's in a way I, I wanted to do that because it's uh, representing one year of FX hash. And, you know, at the beginning I said like there was certain designs, which I, I wouldn't be comfortable, you know, attempting. And then I decided, you know, let's see how much I've grown over the year. And, you know, it's the celebration of one year of being on there. So let's try something a bit different. And I, I thought, okay, it was an interesting idea to take something which I had already made and modify it until it's kind of unrecognizable. So it's actually the Sabler code with rotations and, you know, modifications to the line weights and things uh, added there. And it, it gives a completely different look. And another interesting thing is how with generative art, simply by tweaking a couple of parameters, you can get something which looks completely unrecognizable from, you know, where it started just a couple of lines ago. So in a way, I thought that's an interesting way to kind of represent, you know, for me, what generative art is capable of, what it's about. And again, um, I like to have like some kind of either conceptual strand, which is connected between all the different pieces of work or, or collections, there is always some kind of semantic concept or something which is an evolution from one to the other. And um, so, yeah, that, that's that's kind of how that came about. Uh, every All the collections have something relating them to the one that came before, either something I learned or stylistically um, in terms of palettes, when I find colors that work together, I, send, I tend to stick with them and modify them, you know, sparingly and just make little tweaks to them because, you know, it, it gives a sense of consistency over the body of work and also over the collection and, and so on. So, yeah, uh, I hope that answers. Does that, does that answer? Yeah, yeah, of course, hundred percent. Because, uh, because what I really like to uh, see in artists, what I what I usually ask artists is how your creative styles have evolved over time, and and by your explanation, looking through your evolution, uh, Sablers, the Tesseract, to to the Crosswalk collection, you know, it, it, it's like a streamline of thought that you have built on the idea of Sablers a year ago to to what it is now, and your you're more than happy to to try new things um, to kind yeah. of evolve uh, the collection you had when you got, first got into the space, which I think is amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, so now I got to like know a, 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 a kind of a deeper dive uh, into, into your mind when you're creating these collections. Uh, the next thing <laughs> is like, <laughs> yeah, the next thing, uh, I, I want to share what like get your opinions on uh, in order to share with our community is what is the best way uh, to kind of uh, say to understand your art. I know you explained a little bit about it, but how does a collector like, for, for example, myself, when I'm collecting your project, uh, what is the experience you want me to have? Well, that's a that's a really good question. I I have always been of the kind of school of thought that I'm really into a lot of Japanese, you know, design and design concepts. So 
a lot of the things that I put into the artwork are to do with proportions, um, using certain ratios, spacing, uh, line weights, but also in terms of the construction of things. Um, there's a lot of this one concept in there, wabi-sabi, which is that, you know, things, it, it's about finding the beauty in things which are a little bit imperfect. And the thing with generative art is that it's literally, it's it's code. So it can be stylistically perfect. You know, everything can be pixel perfect. What I like to do is introduce a little bit of like offsets and randomness a little bit to give it a bit of a human touch, but just enough that it's still kind of structured, but not so structured that it feels like inhuman. So a lot of the things that I like people to look for, sometimes I will put in imperfections on purpose. And if you zoom in, I think the best way to appreciate the work or how I'd like it to be appreciated is to not worry so much about the overall image that you're looking at, but kind of zoom in, especially with things like crosswalk, um, monsoon and uh, Erzbla. I have one project which I made for proof of people in London um, for vertical crypto. And that, that was called the Erzbla, which is another anagram of Sabler. And that one, if you zoom in, there's all kinds of threads and offset um, dots and textile qualities. Uh, and I, I have another one, Lebris. Again, it's textile-based, another evolution. And zooming in on the details, the details are where I feel you can get a lot of joy, just looking at the imperfections, seeing how your particular iteration or um, output is is different. Um, that really, for me, is where the key joy is is in there. And you can look at the construction and see that the um, that the spacings and the colors are all designed to work together. And there's a lot of things under the hood um, to try and keep it zen or to keep it interesting. I think if you if what I would say, the TLDR of it, is to take time, don't rush, zoom in, look at the details, and find what that means for you. Like, I don't really have deep concepts in most of my work. That's not to say that they aren't there, but I'd prefer the viewer to bring what they want to bring to the piece, but enjoy the construction, enjoy the thought behind it, the, the structure, the system. Um, and also the imperfections and uniqueness of the particular output. I would say if you zoom in or you print it out and look at it on a wall and just stay with it for a while, I think you can have a lot of joy. You can look at it again and again and say, oh, I didn't realize that was there. I didn't notice that. And then you have this endless source of things to look at, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, that makes perfect sense because, because like like you said, you know the collectors themselves all have different opinions, and I'm really glad that uh, the way that you create art is focusing on on letting the collectors themselves uh, make the choice of what this is and uh, how they view it. Uh, I I was looking at the 
the Ursula uh, collection. I was wondering yeah. why I saw this. Like, uh, like whenever I saw this piece, I was like, I saw this ages ago. Like, I, I, wow. I have a distinctive memory of seeing this in real life. And that was because okay. I was at Proof of People, London 2022. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so... So so yeah, at the time, uh, I didn't bring my Tezos, uh wallet with me. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I w- I was there to to talk with some of my mates, and so I didn't bring yeah. any anything with me. Uh, but but yeah, uh, I I remember seeing this like live minting experience there. That's why I recognized it, and I did. I didn't. I couldn't pinpoint <laughs> where, but now I know. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. All right, so the 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 threads all tied together finally then. Yeah, so so now it finally tied together. I was I was kicking myself, uh, thinking uh, maybe <laughs> maybe there is something wrong with uh, with my memory. Maybe this is just a deja vu moment that that doesn't exist, you know. So yeah, I'm really glad, really glad to know that uh, this was one of the pieces awesome. of proof of people. Uh, were you at that That's event? Cool. No, I wasn't at proof of people. Unfortunately, I wasn't. Um, I'd like I I really wanted to go, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it. So. Yeah, but I'd for, like to be more active in, in real life um, for 2023, definitely. 100%. So for people that don't know uh, Proof of People, it was an event held in London uh, in July. Uh, I think uh, it was hosted by Vertical Crypto uh, that had a you know IRL like, uh, live minting process and also have uh, some of the really OG artists like Kevin Abosh, also, Autograph was displayed there. Tezos founder spoke there. Uh, Rob Ness, who is, who is a really OG artist on Rarebos and the founder of, of Rarebos was there to speak to the people. It was held in a nightclub in London. Uh, it was yeah, a, fabric. a... Yeah, Fabric. It was a really a really small but very um, close-knitted uh, kind of uh, scenery. It, it kind of really depicted what Tezos as a platform is because it's quite it's quite a uh, close-knitted community in a way that is not as much traffic as there is on Ethereum. But the community that is in Tezos, uh, when you get into the scene, uh, the narrative is quite like 180 degrees. Uh, people are not really there to flip everything after they buy to mint uh, projects based on utility and then flip it. Uh, people are there just to collect art. And a lot of the art collectors are artists themselves. So they understand the kind of the conceptual idea of helping and buying other artworks uh, from from emerging artists for or from old artists that has really distinctive styles or has uh, ambitions uh, in the future to do this, to do that. So yeah, um, it, it's a really good event. I think they're hosting it next year as well. Uh, it's a lot smaller than NYC NFT, uh, but uh, it's a really, really small and close-knit community. And uh, it's really cool to check them out from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I would uh, try to close this off by asking you one last question: Is how sure. would how would people okay? How can people follow your art? Like, what is the best way for them to follow your art releases? Right. I mean, at the moment, I'm most active on Twitter, 
Um, I, I did have an Instagram, but it, the Instagram and Twitter seems to have like slightly different communities. So my Twitter account is, sorry, my Instagram account is more uh, geared towards like my art assets and mockups and stuff like that. And for Twitter um, is, is where I sort of discuss and post um, my generative stuff. And, and that's, I think that's the platform that I'm most well known on at the moment so if you follow me at um, studio yorktown on twitter then uh, you'll be kept up to date on all of my uh, generative endeavors there uh thank you guys for listening into this episode of the bs podcast uh, we're joined here by studio yorktown also known as bruce uh, he is a generative artist and have done su- such amazing uh of projects on fx hash uh, you will be able to find him. Follow him on Twitter. You will be able to find all his generative artworks there. Uh, he will be releasing a curated collection with us in 2023. Uh, details will be released uh, a little bit later. Uh, and uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, see you next time. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to help us out, please leave a five-star review. 